don't want to go. Um, but if there were not a mansion there, since Jesus told me there's a mansion there, then it wouldn't be heaven. And Jesus wouldn't be Jesus. Because if Jesus told us there's a mansion, and if there's not a mansion, then Jesus is telling fibs, and Jesus ain't Jesus. So, uh, you know, there's no use in us saying that, that when we get there, the mansions don't matter. They matter to the degree that which they uh, validate the word of the Lord. And uh, it's not that I want to have a mansion in terms of that I've got to have that, or if that I ain't got one when I get to heaven, I won't be pleased, or any of that kind of stuff. But when we get to heaven, if there's no mansion, then Jesus has told us a fib. And uh, he's uh, he knows, we know better than that, it is impossible for him to lie. And if he said when we get to heaven, there's going to be a mansion in my father's house of many mansions. If we get to heaven and there's no mansion, then he hasn't told us the truth. We know that he told us there's going to be many mansions. And if it were not so, he said, I wouldn't have told you. I'd let you know that it was not so. He said, I would have told you the truth. I cannot lie. Amen. And uh, boy, I'm telling you, I, and I listen, I hadn't got to have, I hadn't got to have golden streets. I had never have had a golden street. Matter of fact, I ain't even got a blacktop street. I live on a dirt street, on a dirt road. You wouldn't even call it a street. It's called a circle and it don't even make a circle. I mean, the road that I live on is called a circle and it don't even make a circle. It's just a dead end road. I live on dead end dirt road. I do not have to have, I don't have to have golden streets. I don't even know what a gate of pearl would look like. I don't know if it's one great big old pearl or if it's a bunch of pearls put together to make a gate. I don't know what a gate of pearl even looks like. I have no idea what most of those stones are that make up the, the walls of that city. I don't know what they... I mean, I, I wouldn't recognize one from another. Sister Carolyn could probably tell you about which ones is which. She watches them rocks. I don't know one from another. I wouldn't know which ones were sardin and the other sort of stones. That I just don't... Uh, emerald? No. I know emerald's supposed to be green. I wouldn't know emerald green from plastic green. I wouldn't know emerald green from bottle green. But I'm telling you when I get there, I know that it'll be exactly the way the Lord told us it'll be because He cannot lie. And I am bound for that city, God's holy white city. Oh, yes, I am. And that the world may not know it or understand it or believe it or relate to it and they may think it's foolish or crazy or a pipe dream or an emotion, but I'm glad I have a hope that is anchored in the rock of ages and I shall not be moved. Amen. I praise the Lord, and I'm too near home. If you've been saved for 10 seconds, you're too near home to turn around and go back now. Amen. And I've been traveling this way a lot longer than that, friend. And with every mile of my journey, I get one step closer to my reward. And it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus' face. Hallelujah. Now, I praise the Lamb of God and the blessings of the blessing of the Lord to get to be in the house of the Lord. Thank God for the good singing this morning in the choir. And that is wonderful. And the good congregation singing, and I'm thankful for the good Sunday school lesson this morning. I'm thankful that I do have a firm hope. I have laid hold on the firm hope of eternal life, and I am thankful for that. My life is hid with God in Christ, or with Christ in God, and I am made an heir and a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, all that heaven holds belongs to me, because I am His Son. I've been born again, and then I've been 
been adopted. And I am doubly a part of the family of God. I mean, and listen, I'm living under a double portion. I'm living under a double blessing. Amen. I have been born again and I have been adopted. And He sent that spirit of adoption into my heart whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I have both a new birth and an adoption. There's a lot of you, you know who your birth parents are and you know who mom and dad is, but some of you have got adopted parents and you know who they are. But I'm going to tell you, my birth parent in heaven is the same one who adopted me. I mean, double sealed, friend. And the Lord that knoweth them that are His, and they have His seal, and they depart from iniquity and leave the sins of this old world and serve the Lord. And not only that, He has sealed us until the day of redemption. And I'm thankful for that. He that the same one that has sealed us is the same one that's going to uh, bring us out of this old world and to rescue us from the bondage of this life and deliver us from the wrath that is to come. And He hath not appointed under us under wrath, but under mercy. And I am thankful for that. I'm glad I have a hope. I'm glad I have a home. I'm glad I've got heaven to go to. I'm glad I have a helper all along the way while I'm yet here. Hallelujah. And I'm glad I've got a highway to travel. It's the highway of holiness. And I'll take the old highway, the one called straight. It leads toward home. Started at Calvary and it uh, goes all the way home. And I'm thankful for it. I praise the Lord for everything that He does in our lives. I want us to look this morning in the book of Revelation in chapter number 2. I was sharing this with Gracie last night. And that she had her Bible marked and said, Daddy, you preached on that back in August of 2014. I said, well, I didn't preach on this, but I did preach on that passage of Scripture, that portion of Scripture back in August of 2014. What she didn't know was that I also preached on it in, uh, let's see, in, uh, in September of 92, in August of 92, in November of 92, in January of 93, in October of 93, in March of 93, in June of 2006, in April of 2015, in November of 2014, and so on. And there's about seven or eight more references here. So um, I guess the best thing for me to tell you is you've probably heard me preach out of this passage of Scripture before. I've never preached exactly what I'm going to preach this morning from this passage of the Word of the Lord. If we think we have mined out everything that is to be found in a passage of Scripture, we are fooling ourselves. And I am thankful that there is something to be learned from the Word of God all the time. And I do appreciate this passage of the Word of the Lord. I spent a lot of time in these books, in this chapter, in these portions of the book of Revelation. I quit years ago, almost quit entirely making notes in my Bible. I make other notes uh, that I keep in uh, running out of room. But if you can see it all, you see those pages. And my Bible falls apart around these pages pages of the Word of the Lord. It's a place where I spent a good bit of time studying, and that goes back, way back, before I ever even started here at the truth. Brother John heard us preach several times through these passages of Scripture, and uh, we spent uh, we spent 14 weeks on these passages of Scripture back whenever I was his pastor over at the first church where I pastored, and that's been a long time ago. So, But I appreciate the Lord's helping us and letting us be a part, uh, look into His Word and have a part in His 
his studies. So I feel like this is where we need to go back again this morning. And I would ask for your undivided attention for a little while. And I'd ask sincerely, ask that you pray for us, that the Lord would help us in the message. And I'll try to share a simple thought with you here today and then not be any longer than the Lord wants us to be. Revelation chapter 2, if you've found that your chapter and verse, and verse number 1, stand with us if you're able and willing, and we'll reverence the reading of the Word of the Lord this morning. Revelation chapter 2 and in verse number 1. The Word of the Lord says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. According to the last verse of chapter 1, the seven stars are the seven angels or pastors of the churches in Asia. And he said, Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks? According to that same verse, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. He said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and that thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while I read the Word of the Lord. That does close out at the end of this verse, the message to that church at Ephesus, and that is where we'll be concentrating this morning. Many of you are familiar of where we are here in the Scripture in this first part of chapter Chapter 2 of Revelation. Chapter 1 of Revelation tells us about that Apostle John who was under great persecution and had been on the island of Patmos exiled for preaching the word of the Lord. And uh, while in his persecution and in his difficulty, he said he saw the Lord while he was in the Spirit then. He got in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He heard his voice, as it were behind him, that of a trumpet. And the Bible said he saw his face. He saw his uh, he saw the Lord Jesus as He were a man in heaven uh, with white hair and with a feet like brass burned in a furnace and said He had a golden girdle about His paps or about His waist, if you will. And that's that girdle that the uh, or uh, apron, if you would, that the uh, priest would wear when he would go forth uh, to, uh, to judge the people and to judge the nations. And the Bible said when John saw Him, He was walking about amongst the seven candlesticks with that apron on, and that lets us know He was judging the churches. He was assessing where they were. He was measuring up as to whether or not they were fulfilling their purpose in the world. 
world. He realized the church has a purpose in the world. As He is, so are we in this world. We are to fulfill the calling of God for our lives in this world. We are to fulfill the purpose of Christ for the church in this world. He told Peter, he said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That there is a work for the called out assembly of God to do while we are here in this world. And the Lord is aware of the work we're doing. He's walking among the golden candlesticks. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's aware of where we are and who we are and what we are doing. And the Bible said that John saw him and fell at his feet as dead and was afraid, but he laid his right hand on John and told him, Fear not, I am the first, I am the last. I'm Alpha and Omega, and he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and hell. And the Bible tells us this put John's heart at ease. And he said, John, write the things which I tell you. Write the things which I show you. And he took a book and began to write. And the message began to these seven churches that are the seven golden candlesticks. And that these seven churches begin with the church of Ephesus. And then they end with the church of Laodicea. And there are seven churches mentioned here. And Ephesus is the first of these churches in Asia. And now when it says the churches in Asia, this is what would be a modern day Turkey. Ephesus was the first church that was revealed or referenced. And Ephesus was also the first in sequence. But most Bible students also believe it to have been the largest and most influential of the churches. Maybe the first church in the sense of their priority or in the sense of the influence or power that they had in the area where they were. It was an influential church, a church that was sound in their labor and that made a difference in the place where they were. Most people see these seven churches then as emblematic of seven periods of time in church history since the day of Pentecost and leading up into the days of the tribulation. And Ephesus in that case would be an illustration of the early church right after the days of Pentecost in the days of the book of Acts in the time of the writing of Revelation chapter 2. The Lord reminded them in this chapter that He was walking among them. He said in verse number 1, He said, I walk amidst the seven golden candlesticks. That He walks among them. I wonder how it would change our lives this morning if we realized that He walks among us. How it would change the things we say and the places we go. And my friend, the things that we do and the actions that we take and the attitude that we have. If we realize that He's walking among us. Amen. My friend, He reminds them that He knows them, that He walks among them, that He held their pastors in His hand. He said, the seven stars are in My hand. He told us those stars are the angels or the messenger, if you will, of the Lord to the church. There was natural pastors, heavenly messengers from God to earthly people. And these pastors and these angels were not heavenly angels in the sense of being angelic creations of God, but rather the messengers of the Lord, much the same sense in which the 
word angels is used in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 when he talked about the prophets and set forth the words as spoken by angels were steadfast. It was those messengers of God that were sent to human beings and to my friend anointed by the Lord. And he said to pastors, those angels, those stars are in my hand. Oh, that I might realize this morning in my own life that I'm in His hand. In His hand, I cannot do my own work. I cannot conduct my own will. I cannot preach my own sermon. I cannot develop my own doctrine. I cannot go my own way. If my light is to shine and my star is to burn, if my influence is to be real, it must be that which is in His hand. Amen. Oh, may we realize the men of God are in the hand of the Lord and treat them with such respect and with such acknowledgement that they're in God's hand. My friend, I know and have recently had a man tell me at extended time told me all about the trouble in their church. How he straightened it all out. How he fixed it all. How he saw to it that preacher got what was coming to him. And he told me all about it. How they run him off. All the measures that they took. All the board meetings they had. All these things and his bragging on them. And listen, if it comes to a place anywhere, anytime where a preacher or a pastor is out of the will of God and hurting the church and it's of a necessity to deal with him, it ought to never be the kind of thing that anybody would brag about. It ought to not ever be the kind of thing that anybody would want to boast about. It ought to break your heart to see a man of God get out of the will of God. And I'm not telling you this man was even out of the will of God. I'm just telling you that that church attacked him and abused him and ran him out of town like he was tarred and feathered. But my friend, even when it becomes necessary, it ought to be done with a broken heart to see one of God's servants out of the will of God. Nobody ought to revel, revel or rejoice. And nobody ought to beat their chest and say, look how I defeated the man of God. You make yourself the enemy of the Lord when the star is in His hand and you oppose the man of God, the star that is in the hand of the Lord. My friend, you made yourself an enemy of the Lord Jesus Himself and you're treading on dangerous ground. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. And it'd be nice, I guess, to have somebody besides a preacher preach that. But see how somebody got to preach it and they need to be a preacher to preach it. I guess a preacher's got to preach that. Amen. That's exactly right. And listen, nobody, including the preacher, nobody is above criticism and nobody is above that. Have my friend doing wrong or going wrong. But we ought to pray God would let the stars that are in His hand burn brightly. We ought not to root for their demise or cheer when they fall. Have my friend or dance or rejoice when the mighty have fallen. It ought to grieve us when a preacher man goes sideways or gets out of the will of God. It ought to bother us. We ought to pray God and help him if you have to my friend 5% have an understanding of the forces of hell that rage against the man of God that rage against the preacher man and you can grip that and grasp that this morning and you find yourself in your prayer closet begging God to have mercy on the star that's in the hand of the Lord that he might be God's angel God's messenger to the people 
you wouldn't be rooting against him. You'd be rooting with him against the devil and trying to fight hell on his behalf and asking God to help him in his life. Amen. He said those stars are in my hand. I ain't got nowhere close to what I'm preaching, but this is what the verse says. I don't want to be a Bible preacher. Amen. I have seven stars in his right hand. Seven golden candlesticks, pastors and churches that he's a preaching to here. And he begins and tells them, I know your words. And your labor and your patience. He reveals what he knows about them. And the Lord even commended them. Oh, but then my friend, after he commended them, he criticized them. And after he criticized them, he corrected them or gave them a corrective action to take. I'm preaching this morning. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I'm preaching this morning on loving, leaving, and what to do now. Loving, leaving, and what to do now. He said you did love, but you have left. And I'm going to tell you what to do now. I've noticed their love. He said the Lord commanded them or commended them for being a church with labor. That is, they were a working church in verse number 2. He said, I know thy works and thy labor. I know that you have a work. I know you put forth an effort. And in verse number 3, he said, and for my name's sake has labored. And you realize if you're really working for the Lord this morning, that God is aware of it. If you are a working church, a Christian, if this is a working church, that the Lord is aware of it. He is not forgetful. He is not and mindless he is not absent-minded as it pertains to our work and our labor of love and he will remember it and he will honor it and he will bless it and the Lord knows your labor he knows your work he knows when you are working and when you're not he knows of my friend how much you're working he knows the effort of your work he knows the extent of your work amen that's right he knows your motive he knows your method. He knows your habits. He knows everything about us. How you might fool everybody else, but you won't fool the Lord. And the Lord said, I know thy words. He commended them on being a working church. He commended them on being a waiting church. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. And thy patience. And again in verse number 3, and thou hast borne and hast patience. And they waited on the Lord to bring fruit to their labors, and to avenge their adversaries, to honor their service. As Psalm 130 and verse 5 said, I wait for the Lord, O my soul, and doth wait, and in His word do I hope. Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse 31 said, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How He well commended them that they had patience. And James said, Be also patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And you see the Lord, a day with Him is in a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. We don't understand time with God. And sometimes we think God ought to already done something, and He hasn't done it yet. And then sometimes we wonder why God's in such a hurry. And because He's doing things faster than we can keep up with. Our clock is not God's clock. 
waves are not God's ways. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Good things come to those who wait. And it ain't all out of a hands ketchup bottle. Amen. I'm telling you, God honors those who wait on the Lord. He will bless us and help us and avenge us and honor us if we'll just wait, I say, on the Lord. He commended them on being a working church, a waiting church, on being a warning church. In verse number 2, he spoke, speaks of their judgments. He said, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience. And he said, and how thou canst not bear them which are, which, thou, which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. He speaks about their judgment. It is time and high time that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. But my friend Jesus didn't say, I've been watching and you found all the false prophets amongst you and you exposed them as liars and I just got a question for you. Just who do you think you are to judge them? Oh no, Jesus commended them. He said you tried them, you tested them, you looked at their works, you looked at their labors, you looked at their message, you looked at their messages, you looked at their methods and you said these fellows are lying to us. They are not who they appear to be. And you revealed who they were. Amen. They were methodical about it. They were true to the Scriptures about it. The Lord did not criticize their attitude about it. But He said, you've been true to God's Word and you've exercised sound judgment. And look at verse number 6, what the Bible says. And that this thou hast. And there's some things you ain't got going right, but this much you got right. And this thou hast. That thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. One of the men that was on the examining committee and signed my credentials when I was ordained, he liked to preach out this passage of Scripture, and the great preacher, he's preached in this pulpit. I love him, respect him highly. But I always would get a chuckle, and I can't read through this passage without thinking about him. And Brother Joe would say, Thou hatest the deeds of the Nickelodeons. That's what he would say. Amen. Oh, friend, but it's the Nicolaitans. And I don't know what a Nickelodeon really even is. I think there's a television network named Nickelodeon, but I don't know what a Nickelodeon really is. My friend, but the Nicolaitans were people who had turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and idolatry. Had the license to sin. They said that since God had grace, that it didn't matter how we lived in this present world. They said since God loves us, and since God had grace on us, that ever sin you want to commit is all right and God don't care. And they said if you just ask God to forgive you, it didn't matter if you just went on sinning and living in the old way. God said you hate their doctrine. And I'm going to tell you, I hate their doctrine too. And I must confess that I'm in the crowd with Ephesus this morning. I hate their doctrine too. And the Word of God still says come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Oh, my friend, you shall be to me sons and daughters, and I will be your God. I still believe in being separate from sin and Satan and the world and selfishness in the flesh. Amen. That's right. I thank the Lord for grace. I thank the Lord for mercies. I thank God for forgiveness. Without it, we'd all be in trouble. But I believe when God 
God forgives us. I believe, friend, when we truly repent in our hearts, our desire is not to go back to the same old slob of the world we were in before God found us and our hog pen of sin. I tell you, that's a prodigal sign. When he left the hog pen, he dropped his pail. He never went back to that place again. He said, I'm going back to my father's house. I'm not going to dwell here in this hog pen anymore. I'm going back to where the Father is. Hey, friend, thank God. When He came to His Father, not only did the Father welcome Him back home, but He cleaned Him back up. Amen. He said, go get a fresh robe, a new robe, and put it on Him. And shoes on His feet. I don't believe for one minute they put that new robe on the back, covered in hog slop. I don't believe for a minute they put those new shoes on feet, covered in hog slop. And my friend, they cleaned him up. And my friend put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet. And the clothes in his back. And they made him fit to sit at the supper table again. I tell you, when God saves a man, how we're to separate from sin and wildness and come out from among them. And if we're to be a church, God will come in. We will warn the world of sin. Amen. He said when you go to church down there at Ephesus, they don't play no games about all that stuff thinking it's okay to just wall and play and sin. And I sure appreciate that. I hate that doctrine. Those people are preaching that just says you can live just every old way. And God's satisfied with that. I don't like it. You don't like it. And I appreciate your stand against it. Here's what He tells that church at Ephesus. I mean, so far what we're reading this morning sounds like the kind of church I'd want to be a part of. And you would want to be a part of it. You're right with God. And then He commends their willingness. They're working and awaiting and awarding, sirs. But He said, you're a willing, sirs. My friend, He talks about their diligence. He said it has, verse 3, it has borne and has patience and has fallen and has my, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Oh, when you fell like quitting, you didn't quit. When you fell like giving up, you didn't give up. When you fell like laying down, you didn't lay down. They didn't let the weirdness of the flesh shut down their work. And God said you were willing. The flesh was speed. I was weak, but the Spirit was willing. And you just kept on working. And I know you get tired and you're under persecution. And I know everything's not easy. But you just keep on working. And you keep on laboring. And you hadn't given up. And I want to commend you for that. That's commendable, isn't it? I mean, if we were to stop, if we were to stop at the end of verse 3, we'd think this had to be the greatest church maybe ever in the history of the world. I'm with, with what the Lord has said about them. Great things. Great things. But all was not well with Ephesus. Amen. They had loved, but they had left their first love. Verse number 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. But nevertheless, in spite of all the things that I'm pleased with about your church, in spite of how much I love your pastor, in spite of how bright your candlestick burns, in spite of all the good works you have and sound doctrine, and the firm beliefs and firm stand, and my friend the have not fainted. I still have someone against you. You have left your first love. Loving and leaving. 
loving and leaving. Oh, my friend, this is not to be the song of the committed church. This is the drunken song of the lost world. That of loving and leaving. This is the song that's my friend recorded in Nashville and sung in honky tongs and beer joints and played in my friend in booze halls and dance halls and played on these. Somebody hit me with a term I'm looking for. You put a quarter in jukebox. I played in a jukebox somewhere. Sometimes y'all got to help me preach. My mind scattered out a million directions. You got to stay with me if nothing else to coach me through the sermon. Hallelujah. Oh, my friend, these are the songs that are sung by the drinkers. And my friend, those who stand in Nashville with cowboy hats on and talk about divorce and the dog dying and the truck that won't crank. And my friend, out of mama just got out of jail. And the wife left, and somebody else's wife has moved in with him. Loving and leaving, and loving and leaving, and loving and leaving. Oh, my friend, that's the song of the world. It should never be the song of the church. It should never be the song of God's people. It should never be the song of the preacher, or the deacon, or the choir singer. And my friend, he said, you started singing the wrong song. You've left your first love. It was not that you have lost it. You didn't misplace it somewhere. You walked away from it. You left it, the Bible says. You left your first love. Oh, hey. It's familiar to the tavern and the divorce court. But loving and leaving has become far too familiar at the house of God. I mean, friend, it'd be real easy for us to look at this and say, wait a minute, preacher. You've got to be preaching about two different churches. I mean, they still had all them works going on. And they still had sound doctrine going on. And they still were throwing the false prophets out. And they still were exposing sin. And they still were calling it by name. And they still were rebuking those who embraced it. What do you mean they were loving and leaving? I'm not the one who wrote this book. I'm just preaching it. And Jesus said they left their first love. I'm going to tell you what happens, friend, a lot of times. You're still teaching that Sunday school class that you don't love it like you used to. You're still singing in the choir that you don't love it like you used to. You're still showing up for church on Sunday, maybe morning, nights, maybe Wednesday night. My friend, but you just don't have the same zeal. You just don't love it like you used to. You still shake hands with your brother. You say it sure is good to see you. But the warmth and the genuineness and sincerity is not there anymore. You still bow down beside your bed at night and you whisper a prayer in the evening, you whisper a prayer in the morning that there is no zeal, no fervor in you, no effectiveness in your prayer life. You still read your Bible but you don't hunger for it. You still sing the songs of Zion but you don't speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You still going through all of the motions, and you look good on the outside, but you're a white sepulchre full of dead men's bones. Your heart's not in it. You're just going along to get along. You're serving God out of heaven. You're coming to church out of heaven. You're coming, my friend, because others expected of you, or because you've got some job in the church, but your heart's not in it. You're here in body, but you're not here in spirit. How you pick up a songbook? But you can't sing from your heart. I'm telling you, 
your friend you're loving. My friend has left. And you'll be leaving soon. If God don't help you, you're on your way out the door. If God don't do a work in your life. And I don't mean we're going to throw you out. I mean we're going to have to do everything we do to hold on to you. If you're in the place where you are going through all the motions, but you don't love it anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When's the last time you just couldn't wait for the congregational singing? Quiet all you choir singers right now. When's the last time you just couldn't wait for the last song in the congregational singing to get done? And you're on your hearts just sitting there thinking, man, I hope the choir director sings this song. Man, I've been wanting to sing that song all week long. I hope he sings this song. I hope maybe they sing that song. Oh, and you just can't wait. You're just itching. I mean, you're, just, you're antsy. You look like you got ants in your pants. Just wiggling and stepping back and forth. Holding on the pew, just can't wait for him to sing. I say, all of you to help us sing in the choir. Y'all come on around. You the first one to bolt out of your pew. Head up here, you got a grin on your face. Big enough to lose a coat hanger in it. You're all keyed up, excited about it. Not ready to sing in the choir. Some of you got to the place you still come to the choir. And you still sing, but you're thinking to yourself, maybe he'll have special singing today and we won't have to sing in the choir. You know, I'm kind of tired. And uh, you know, I say, well, everybody come help us sing the choir. And you sit there and say, well, we'll see how many is here today. If there's enough, I'll just sit back and listen. And maybe you finally decide, oh, my, the preacher's going to call my name. If I don't get up and help him, so you straggle along. And you're the last one to ease along into the choir. And when you get there, you're standing, you don't even pick up the book. And when you pick up the book, you don't turn the number until we're halfway through the first song. And you're mumbling along saying half the words and finally you make eye contact with the song director and oh you perk up and you smile and he looks away and it's right back like he was amen and you mumble your way through the song and to sing about half-heartedly you're still there you hadn't faded you're still doing what you knew you're supposed to do but the joy has been stripped out of it I'm telling you friend I'm preaching where we live and there are Sundays preacher when you preach and you don't want to preach. And there are Sundays whenever you stand and you don't want to stand. Sunday school teacher, there are weeks you think, I wish somebody else would teach this lesson. I would do it because I'm obligated, because they're expecting me, but I really want to go play golf instead of studying. Amen. Oh, yes. I'm telling you, there are Sundays. I feel where mama, you get up and you tell them, Babies, let's get ready and go to church. But that is your house. You're thinking, I don't want to fight again. My babies has worn me out. I know they need to be at church and I want them at church. But I've wrestled about the last Sunday. I can stand around with you. And you come on to church and you sit on the pew. But your countenance is like stone. And you fought them babies as long as you can stand to. Let me tell you something, Mama. Don't quit. And don't leave. Don't stop. Don't quit trying. Fight on another week. Come on to the house of God. And don't just come. But come thanking God. And your baby is somewhere or another. That could be away from you. They could be out of your home. Your family could be divided. And I 
our feet. Hey, yeah. you could be gathered around a little grave and watching a casket go in the ground. Yeah. Just keep laboring on. Yeah. Just keep fighting on. Yeah. I pray God to give you a fresh zeal yeah. and a fresh anointing yeah. and a new touch to serve Him yeah. and to love the way you serve Him. Yeah. Sir, you have written out the check. You have put in an offering plate a thousand times. But this time when these young men come walking around, you know you need a new set of tires. You know things are on edge down there at the job site. You know this seems like the future is uncertain. You know that I'm told you they're cutting out over time. Maybe laying some folks off. The bill collectors are going to demand their money. And you know that that's true. Yeah. Oh, but you think surely this time yeah. I'll just drop in a dollar or two yeah. and I'll not put my tithes and offerings in the plate. Yeah. This time I'll just pass it down the aisle. Yeah. That preacher will never know and I won't. Yeah. I do not study those things. Yeah. I do not police those things. Yeah. And nobody else around here does. Yeah. That is between you and God. Yeah. And you think of this what you want to. This is opinion. Yeah. And not the Bible. I'm giving you that label on now. But I would not attend the church. And my friend, when they wanted me to report to them my earnings and my givings, and with a preacher, I tried to police who did and didn't tie. I'd get away from that outfit before they started making too late. Amen. I'm telling you, I'd be scared to death of that crowd. Amen. That's exactly right. Oh, God, help us. Don't you think, oh, I'll pass the plate on down. I'll just not put anything in. You're just discouraged. It's not because you don't want to. It's not because you don't care. You're just at the end of yourself. May I encourage you this morning in the Lord. And don't walk away from your love. And don't walk away from serving God. Don't walk away from doing what you know is right. And doing it out of spirit of love towards God. And love towards others. Amen. Oh, the devil said if you had all the money back, you'd get that church. And you give those missionaries and you put in that offering plate. You can have a new boat. You can have a new car. You can have a new house. I tell you what else. You can have a new disease. You can have a new grave. My friend, you can have nothing. That's exactly right. You can be suffering a new plague. But I'm going to tell you, God's been good to everyone else. We got food to eat, clothes to wear. My friend, He's taking care of our every need. I say, serve Him again. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us. And not we ourselves. How's He going to look after us? We're His people. And the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. And bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endure to all generations. I say don't leave. Serve Him with your heart for you. Love Him and leave Him. And what to do now? Where is the zeal you once had? How long has it been since you testified under the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Yes. Are your prayers productive? And do you still yearn for the closeness of the fellowship of God? 
Do you delight to tell somebody about Jesus? Has church attendance, Bible reading, singing and preaching become a burden to you instead of a blessing? An obligation instead of a privilege? Oh, loving and leaving. You have left your first love. Oh, my friend, you may not have Patsy Cline, but my friend or Willie Nelson or uh, oh, hey, Waylon Jennings uh, stuck out there in a tape deck or CD player uh, or iPod in your vehicle. Uh, but you're singing their old sad songs. And you're living that old sad life. And you're living that life empty. And my friend, without any joy in it. That Jesus said, I came that you might have joy. And that your joy might be full. I say it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, I'm glad I'm saved by the grace of God. On my way home and there's not anything. I'd rather be than an old time Christian. And there's not anything. I'd rather be than saved. There's not anything I'd rather be than to be His servant. And I say glory to His name. And God takes real good care of me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Loving and leaving. And what do we do now? You know what the hard part about this message is? It's easy when you're burning hot with fire. It's easy when you're serving God with fervor to hear what I'm preaching this morning. Clap your hands and say amen to the preacher. Nod your head and say, yes, that is right. But when he's preaching and you know that it's me he's talking about. And you already are the place, if you're like Ephesus, where you don't want nobody to know how cold you are because you're still going through all the motions. You're still playing the piano. You're still singing the songs. You're still going through the Sunday school lessons. Your husband, your wife, your children may not even know how down and defeated and how close you are to giving up. How close you are to walking away. You're still going through all of the outward motions. You're still dressing right. You're still living right. You haven't gone and got drunk or committed adultery or something. You're just in the bottom of the barrel. And you don't really nobody to nobody because that's why you keep doing all the things you're doing. It's to go through because you're embarrassed about where you are. Oh, but let me tell you, I'm preaching this morning about what you do now. What do you do now? The joy is gone. The zeal is gone. Oh, even if it's not gone, you know it's getting weak. Seems like you're running on high octane. I mean, it's like Brother Russ Golden said in a camp meeting. I got that low octane gas. And he said that star, that engine starts going clatter, clatter, clatter. What's the matter? Hey, man, some of us, that's where we are at times. I mean, just sputting and sputtering along and trying to make it. Amen. And my friend, the car's body looks good. The paint job is right. The wheels are signed up. But up under the hood, there's a diagnostic problem that Jesus has got to deal with. I mean, loving and leaving. Oh, what in the world do we do now? I'll tell you what Jesus said, because I don't have an answer. So I've got to tell you what Jesus said. Look at verse number 5 with me this morning. If you still have your Bible open. Remember therefore from which thou art fallen, 
and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. There are four things. What do we do now? First, remember. Think about the days when you first trusted the Lord. Oh, think back to the days when you first gave your heart to Him. The blessed feeling that it was to be clean. To know all your sins were forgiven. And to know that you had been in trouble with God. And you're not in trouble with God anymore. And last Sunday when Jake sat at my table, I asked him, I said, Son, this, I've, read, I've read a verse, quoted a verse to a Scripture to him about the conviction of God, about the judgment of God. I said, Do you feel like have you ever been in trouble with God? He said, Oh, yes. I've been in trouble with God for quite a while. I said, Son, do you feel like you're in trouble with God now? He said, No, I don't feel like I'm in trouble with God now. You realize that's what being right with God is? I mean, when you're not in trouble with God anymore. He's not your enemy. He's reconciled you unto Himself. That's when the two of you have come to terms. When God has brought man together on His terms. And the terms are Christ Jesus, by the way. And He brings us together on His terms. He remember what it was like to feel my friend the load of guilt and sin. I lift it off your shoulders. He remember that initial joy and love and appreciation that you had for serving the God of heaven. He remember what a blessing it was the first time you got to testify. The first time you got to sing. The first time you got to participate in something the work of the church was doing. The first time you got to work in a Bible school. The first time you got to teach a Sunday school class. What in the world happened? Go back to those times. Remember the freshness that there was. Think about how God worked in your life in those days. The song said, think back to the time when Jesus saved your soul. Remember the joy when you gave Him full control. If time has removed the place that you knew then, it's calling you back to where you began. Child, child, why do you wonder out in the darkness away from the cold? Child, child, there's comfort in closeness. And so walk just as close as you can. He said, remember, therefore, I look back to those days. I look back to when God was fresh in your life. Remember. And then he said, repent. Repent. Remember from whence thou art fallen. And repent. At the end of the verse, he said there's consequences. Except thou repent. That word repent means to turn around. You realize if God is not fresh to you, if serving God is not a blessing to you, if living for God is not a love in your life the way that, that it once was, if what you do for God is not as much of a pleasure now as it once was, if a life for Jesus has become routine and monotonous and mundane, you realize you are headed in the wrong direction. And the best thing you can do right 
right now is to turn around. To repent of where you're headed. To repent of the direction your life is going. And do an about face. Some of the people I deal with every day are not always thoroughly thinking out what they say. But they'll say, I need to do a 360. Well, that won't do you a bit of good. You realize 360 degrees means you'd spin all the way around and you're still going to be going the same direction you're going in. I've seen a lot of religious people do a 360. They're spinning around like tops. But nothing's changing in their lives. That true repentance is more than a tear shed. That true repentance is more than a trip to the altar. That true repentance is more than saying, I'm sorry for what's happened in my life. That true repentance is turning from your ways. That turning from what you've been doing. Turning from how you've been living. Turning from what you've been thinking. Amen. It is turning around. I'm headed the wrong direction. And I need to turn around. Oh, Jesus said, if you keep going the direction you're going, you're going to be in trouble. Remember how you used to serve God. Remember the zeal you used to have. And turn around and go back in the right direction. If you're still processing the labor of the church, but there's not love there, you're headed the wrong way and it's time to turn around. Yes, that's good Remember, repent. Number three, what do we do now? Repeat. Repeat. He said, Remember therefore from which thou fallen and repent and do the first works. Now, if you read through those verses, you thought, man, they're doing all the, all the right things. They got the right doctrine, got the right uh, labor, got the right patience. They are laboring hard. The Lord twice mentioned their labor. How you think that, man, they got everything going wrong, right? What do you mean do the first works? He's saying to them, go back and don't just do it, but do it out of a heart of love. Do it because you care. Do it because you're motivated. Don't just sing in the choir, sing with joy. Don't just teach the Sunday school lesson, teach it with zeal. Don't just preach the message, throw your heart into it. Don't just come to church like it. And don't just put something in the offering plate, do it in the spirit of worship. And don't just have devotions in the morning and the evening. Oh, but seek after God with your whole heart. Don't just tell your children they ought to serve God. But mean it from the depths of your soul. Illustrate it with the life that you live. Don't just tell the world they better get saved. But do it with a soul. I'm offering a burden in your heart and a tear in your eye. I'll repeat, do the first words. Oh, my friend, hey, the God of heaven knows both the motive and the method and sees beyond our routines. He knows the what and the why. I pray again until you know God has honored it. I seek joy to be in the presence of your song. Ask God for fresh zeal on that class. Oh, my friend, that message or that song in the choir. I mean, ask God to do it again in your life. Amen. Repeat. And then I want to tell you, he said, if you don't remember, if you don't repent, if you don't repeat, there is an or else. Look at the end of that verse. Or else. I don't know how you ever thought about it. I never liked it when my daddy would say something or other or else. And he never told me else what. He just said, you're going to do it or else. And else wasn't never good. Else was always serious business. Else was always a hefty price to be paid. And the Lord in heaven says, this is what you're going to do or else. And then He tells us what else. He says, or else I will come unto thee quickly. Your time's just about out. 
I've just about put up with all of the half-hearted, empty service and worship out of you is what I'm going to accept. I'm going to come unto you quickly, he says. And he said, I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now he told us in verse 1, the stars were, or verse at the end of chapter 1, the stars were the angels and the candlesticks were the churches. And he said, if you don't, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you don't remember and repent and repeat, I'm going to remove, I'm going to take away that candlestick. Amen. Oh, they're loving and leaving would result in severe loss. God said, I will remove your candlestick. Hey, oh, what does a candle provide? It provides light. Amen. What does a star provide? It provides light. How does a star provide light? How does a candle provide light? By fire. That's the only way that a star lights up. That's the only way that a candle lights up is by fire. It's as if God says, I'm going to snuff your fire out. You're going to lose your light. I'm going to turn the lights off in your life. I'm going to turn the lights off in your church. I'm going to turn the lights off in your worship services. Oh, how sad a thing it would be. And my friend, for a church to leave and work and be in the doctrine of the Lord and for God to say they don't love me anymore. I'm turning the light off on them. I'm not going to shine on their prayer line. I'm not going to touch their families. I'm not going to bless their giving. I'm not going to honor their sermons. And God in heaven turns the light off. I say I need His light. I need His anointing. I need His fire to burn in my life. I don't want to be a star that has burned out. I don't want to be a candlestick that is gone. I don't want the fire and the heat and the light and the power and the witness and the testimony to be taken from my life. Oh, my friend, what do we got to do? We got to do something about it now. Repent. Remember, repent, repeat. Or else He'll remove. Their influence would be gone. I'm finished preaching this morning. But this is the message. I mean, this is it. Love and leaving. And what to do now. You know what I'm afraid of has happened in this day? We've gone through the progression of these seven churches. This church is still doing what they're supposed to, but they don't have love for God. By the time we get to that last church in Laodicea, He commends them about nothing. He still knows their works, He said in chapter 3 and verse 15. You're neither hot or cold. You're just lukewarm, and because you're neither hot or cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Your lukewarmness, your lack of love and fervor for me, your lackadaisical approach to God and religion makes me sick. They said, I've been rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. He said, you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Not only that, he said, when you get together for your fellowship, I've been out on the porch. I'm standing at the door knocking. I want to come in. You won't even let me in the church. 
I want to sit down at the supper table with you. And you won't even let me in, but if you'll open the door, I'll come in. And I'll sup with you. I'll dine with you and you with me. Brother, if we don't do something about it, if you are getting to the place to where I preached this morning, if you don't do something about it now, it's only going to get worse. Loving and leaving and what to do now. Everybody stand. Don't brush off the message. Don't just put away what we preached this morning as if it's insignificant or doesn't matter. There's victory to the child of God in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh you can this morning. Will I give thee to the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God? There is a reward if we'll do what we've commanded. But he that hath an ear, let him hear. Don't just push away the preaching of the Word of God. There's something to do and you need to do it now. What are we singing, dear brother? Let's sing 44. Come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Let's sing. Hear the blessed Savior calling the oppressed. Lay them, come to me and rest. Come no 